So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians 7. We're going to skip around a little bit this morning. But we're in part two of our series called Miserably Saved. We, we talked about this last week, how God wants us gloriously saved. God wants us joyfully saved. God wants salvation to be this incredible experience for us, that our walk with him would be life-giving, that it would be full of joy, that it would be full of peace, full of fulfillment, full of purpose. But for some, man, we hit seasons, or for some, not just a season, we just stay in a place where that salvation has no joy. It has no peace. It has nothing in, that, that, is, that is going on in our life. We're saved, but that's it. You, you got in on grace, but you never moved forward. And so what happens is, for some, we see salvation as an end point rather than an entry point. We see it, hey, man, if I get saved, that's it. Now I'm a Christian, and, and we just kind of coast from there. But that's not what God wants for us. What God wants for us is that salvation to be the beginning of a life-giving, vibrant journey and adventure and relationship with him where we're constantly moving forward. And so we want to help you to move forward. We want to help you to take those steps, to get unstuck. See, some of us, we, we, we got saved and it was exciting and it was passionate for a season and then maybe we hit, a, hit another season where we kind of got stuck. Uh, and we want to help you to get unstuck. All of us get stuck. All of us get in seasons where things aren't a- as passionate and exciting as they were in other seasons. But we want to make sure that we're constantly moving forward. So in this series we talked about last week, we're digging into the four cups of the Passover, the, the Jewish Seder meal, where they sit down and celebrate that the angel of death passed over the homes of the Israelites, and uh, in, in that this symbolism of salvation, that Jesus, because of his blood covering us, has protected us, has rescued us, and saved us. And so last week we talked about the, the four cups, but the first cup is the cup of salvation. This is the one that I think all of us in this room have partaken of. Probably most of us watching online have partaken of the cup of salvation. And this is a great one, right? It's, it's amazing. There's a reason why we talk about this one so much, because it's life-changing, because it's radical, because it's mind-blowing that God would send his son Jesus to pay the price for my sin, that I could be rescued, that I could be saved, that I could be brought into his family. It's absolutely incredible to experience salvation. And so this is the place where God frees us from slavery. We're looking at the experience of the Israelites coming out of slavery in Egypt and how that symbolizes our Christian walk, what God wants to do in our lives. He rescued the Israelites from slavery. He brought them out. He delivered them right. And and so God saves us from slavery. But not only does he do that, then cup number two is the cup of, of restoration, the cup of deliverance. This is where God says, not only did I get you out of slavery, but now I got to get slavery out of you. And we saw this time and time again with the Israelites, where, where they get to the Red Sea, they've been rescued, God sent all these plagues on Egypt and showed himself powerful and delivered them from slavery, and they get to the Red Sea and they say, man, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt than for us to be out here, right? And, and later on in their journey, they, they start, they don't have a lot of food, they're having trouble finding food as they're wandering in the wilderness, and they say, man, it would have been better for us to be eating as slaves in Egypt than for us to come out here and starve, and time and time again, they refer back to it, slavery was better. And God forbid that any of us as believers would look back at our pre-Christ life, would look back at at the time before we received salvation and say, man, that life was better 
than what I have now. And, and the reality is the enemy oftentimes brings temptations, brings things to us, and, and tries to offer that as something that was better. Tries to drive us back to that stuff that God has already saved us from. And so not only does he have to get us out of slavery, but secondly, he's got to get slavery out of us. Third, next week, we'll talk about the cup of redemption. This is me when he returns you to your original place and purpose. That's the one that I'm most excited to talk to you about, man. I get fired up to talk about redemption, that God's got a place and a purpose for you that he wants to return you to. And then we'll end the series looking at the fourth cup, where they celebrated the cup of relationship, where God makes this amazing declaration, I will be your God and you will be my people. So not only does he want to to rescue us for us, but he actually wants to be with us. Isn't that amazing? Man, that, that he offers himself. In fact, the way that he seals our salvation for us is he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, to begin this process of relationship. So all of these begin with salvation, but we have to choose to walk these other processes out. We gotta choose to continue to pursue restoration and redemption and relationship with God. And so this week we're looking at restoration, at deliverance. And I think this is the week that as American Christians, this is the one that the American church needs to hear the most. Because I think we got a whole lot of believers in American Christianity who've received salvation and that's it. Man, we, we, we responded to a prayer. We gave our life to Jesus and we can argue theologically, man, are these people really saved? Do they really know Jesus or not? I, I don't know. I think many of them do. I don't know how many do, and uh, you know, really only only God knows which of those people have truly given their life to Him and just haven't moved forward, and which have never given their life to Him. But I know this: there's a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians that there's not a lot of joy in their life. There's not a lot of fruit in their life. There's not a lot of freedom in their life. It, It usually fleshes out in one of two ways. These are people who either receive salvation, but keep living like they never did, right? They never get any freedom from sin, or it's people who receive salvation, and they live in self-righteousness, and they put down and judge and look at everybody else who's struggling with their sin that way, right? And the reality is both of those places are miserable, right? If you're stuck in sin, you're miserable. You may look fun on the outside, but deep down inside, you know there's something missing, Yeah, I'm missing out on God's best for my life. I am not living up to his call and his purpose on my life, and that's a miserable place. And if you're living in a place of judgment and a place of self-righteousness where you're doing this on your own and everybody else doesn't measure up to you, that's a miserable place too. And the reality is, man, I've experienced both of those. I've been on both sides of that, and neither of them are what God has designed for his people. God wants to rescue us to a wondrous salvation, a glorious salvation, a joyful salvation. So 2 Corinthians 7, when I told you, to, told you already to turn there, it says this, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says, therefore, since we have these promises, what promises? God's made incredible promises to us, right? He says, you're more than a conqueror. He says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He says, I, have, I know the plans I have for you, plans to, to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, right? We go through scripture and we see all these promises that God has for God's people. And so Paul says, because we have these promises, these awesome promises, these things God said for us, I'm going to deliver you, I'm going to save you, I'm going to restore you. He says, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. He's writing to Christians, and he says, we got to purify ourselves. He says, there's some contamination in you. The reality is, in our culture, it's really easy to get contaminated, isn't it? 
Man, it's really, you don't, you don't even have to go looking for sin. Sin will come looking for you. You don't have to go looking for temptation. Temptation will come looking for you. And, and many times we just get stuff on us, and it's not through any fault of our own. It's not because, man, we, we were out there being rebellious and running from God. It's just because, man, we live in a sinful world. And here's God's encouragement for you today. The Bible says in Romans that it, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I believe it's Romans 10, 17. So, so we live in a generation where I think we all agree sin abounds. Right, there, there, there's sin everywhere. We're inventing new ways to sin in our generation. We got creative sinners, don't we? It's like, man, I'm 40 years old, and I'm looking at some of the stuff, and like, I couldn't even conceive of that when I was a teenager. There's stuff that, that, that's happening now. And so there's creative sin going on, and that's discouraging. And sometimes it feels like I can't even get away from it. But here's the promise of God is that when sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So he doesn't say, I've got enough grace for the abounding sin in your generation. He says, I got more than enough grace for the abundant sin in your generation. So God is moving. God has got a plan for us. Man, I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Man, I, I got to stand on that. I got to believe that because sometimes I look around in our world and I'm like, man, it seems like it's falling apart. It seems, it seems like we're missing it. It seems like, man, everything's going wrong. But God says, no, I've got much more grace than all the new ways you can come up with to sin. That's encouraging for me. It should be encouraging for all of us. So he says, we, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness. Why? Out of reverence for God. So in other words, God's calling us to leave that old life behind and pursue the new life. He's calling me to be like Jesus, to be an imitator of Christ and to move forward. The message uh, paraphrase words this pretty interestingly. It says this. It says, with promises like this to pull on, dear friends, let's make a clean break. Everybody say clean break. Let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both inside and outside both within me and without me. Let's make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. So he says we can perfect holiness. We can make a clean break with all of this stuff. And, and some of us, we look at our life and it's like, man, I never made a clean break. Or, or we may look at our life and say, I made a clean break at this point, but, I, but, I, but I've come back to it at this point. In fact, the, the book of James says that in the same way that a dog returns to its vomit, so, so a man returns to their sin. You ever seen a dog throw up and then go back and start sniffing around that? It's like the most disgusting thing, right? You're like, you lick me with that tongue. Like, what are you doing? Keep that thing away from there, right? How, how disgusting would it be? It's like, man, I didn't know we were going to talk about throw up in church today. Hallelujah, right? How, how nasty would it be, man, for, for you to vomit? We just had COVID and we had some nausea going through the house, right? So to do that and then go like, man, that smells good. Man, what's that, right? Like, it's disgusting. None of us would ever do that, but God says in the spirit, that's what so many of us are doing. He says, I got that stuff out of you. I pulled that sickness, that disease of sin out of you, and you're like, man, what's on the menu today? He's saying, no, I've got something so much better, and so we got to make our lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. We can perfect holiness, we can move forward, but we have to Allow God to, to lead us in this step of restoration and deliverance. So going back to, to Exodus, using this illustration a little more in depth, we know that before God brought them out of slavery, he sent these plagues on Egypt, right? How, what, what, let's just have a little conversation. Which plagues do you remember? Just shout something out. Bl plague of blood, right? Nile River filled with blood, what else? 
frogs, locusts. Anybody else? Death of the firstborn, okay. So we go through, if you read the story, don't they just kind of feel random? Right, it's like, why is God doing, what, what is the point of this? Like, yes, the point is he's punishing the Egyptians and he's trying to get his people free, but why this way? Well, they weren't random at all. Every plague that God sent was a direct message because every plague he sent correlated to one of the Egyptian gods. Every one of them related to something that the Egyptians worshipped. And he wasn't really just sending a message to Egypt that I'm greater than your gods. He was really sending a message to the Israelites that I'm the one. Follow me. I'm bringing you out of this and you need to leave this behind you. There's nothing here for you. So the Egyptians had this, this frog goddess. Uh, and the, god, the frog goddess was the goddess of fertility. So when they wanted to, to, to get pregnant, when they wanted childbirth, when they needed uh, their crops to, to be abundant, they would go and worship the frog goddess. And so God sends a frag- plague of frogs. He says, you think your God can, can cause reproduction? Let me just show you what I can do with frogs. And he multiplies frogs all across Egypt, which that's just got to be a crazy plague to suffer through, right? And, and, and then... They've got this God of, of epidemics, this God that they, they look to for, for healing. And so God sends boils. And the Egyptians cry out to their healing God, and no healing comes. Why? Because God's saying, I'm the God who heals. I'm Jehovah. I'm the one who, who, who can step in and bring healing for you. Then the Egyptians, their most famous God is the sun God, Ra. They worship the God of the sun, right? It's, it's along the equator. It's hot. And so they worship this God of the sun. They got a lot of sun, and God... What does he do? He sends darkness. And darkness always seemed like the most random of the plagues, right? Like it's like, can I choose frogs or locusts or boils or darkness? I'm going with darkness, right? Like I can, I can manufacture some light. But God sends darkness. Why? Because he says you can call out to your sun God all you want to. But your sun God can't respond. I'm the God who controls the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on and on and on and on down the list. And, and they have this God of strength, <coughs> and the God of strength was, was a bull. He was the bull God. And so God strikes the pestilence against the livestock. He strikes the pestilence against the actual bulls, and they cry out to their bull God, and there's nothing that he can do, and, and on and on down the list. So what happens? We fast forward a little bit. They've been brought across the Red Sea. They get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. He tells the people, stay here and wait. I'm going to go talk to God, and I'm going to come back and bring this to you. And what happens to the people? They get bored. You ever get bored? Started looking at the clock. Man, Moses has been gone a long time. Maybe Moses is dead. Maybe Moses isn't coming back. They, they start to get frustrated. Have you ever been at a place where it felt like God didn't move quickly enough? Hey, God, I asked for this. Hey, God, God, you, you were supposed to do this. I was supposed to already have this promotion. I was already supposed to have this relationship. I was already supposed to have this whatever. And so they went out and they decided instead of waiting on God and trusting in God, they were going to make something happen on their own. What did they do? They asked Aaron, Moses' brother, to make them a bull. It wasn't a random choice. They weren't just looking around and they said, hey, there's a bull, let's make a statue out of that. What were they doing? They were declaring, we're going back to the gods of Egypt. Man, the God of Israel may have brought us out here, but he can't take us where we need to go. So we're going to lean on the God of strength to get where they need to go. And so God recognized very early on from the very beginning that not only do I have to get you out of Egypt, but it's going to be a whole lot more of a process to get Egypt out of you. They spent 400 years 
in this place. And they began to embrace its culture and grab a hold of its customs and believe in its false gods. They had a slavery mindset. The reality is for many of us, we've got a slavery mindset. We continue to look at things not through the lens of what God has done for us or who God is, but through the lens of our sin nature and of our flesh. And so that's why Romans chapter 12 verse 2 gives us one of my favorite verses, and, and I'm going to read it to you today in the Amplified. The Amplified, if, if you've ever read the Amplified, it takes the words in Scripture and it, and it amplifies them. It helps us to understand not just what the verse is, but what, is the, the, what are these things actually saying. So it's long. So if you're trying to do your devotions quickly, don't read the Amplified. I'll just warn you, right? If you're trying to check it off the box, but if you're trying to study and understand better what is the Bible telling you, the Amplified can be a great resource. The Amplified says this. It says, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. In other words, this stuff around us, it's surface. There's no depth to us. It it may have some appeal. It it may look good on the outside, but there's nothing there. Don't be conformed to it any longer, but be transformed and progressively changed. In other words, this doesn't happen instantaneously. It's a process, right? It's progressive. I'm moving, God says, I'm moving you from glory to glory. So we're moving higher. We're going further. We're moving forward together. But be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually By the renewing of your mind. My mind, when I got saved, my spirit got saved, but my mind didn't get saved. Right? Follow me here. When you got saved, you didn't get new memories, right? When when you got saved, you, you didn't suddenly get like a new personality. Right? When you got saved, it was still you. See, your spirit was saved and is now eternally connected to, to the Holy Spirit. It's eternally promised to spend eternity with God. But your mind, God says, I want you to renew it. And so how do we renew our mind? We get in the word. Best thing you can do, get in the word. Man, you, you come to church, you sit under teaching, you listen to podcasts, right? We study all of those things, but we got to start getting God's thoughts. Because if we continue with our thoughts, we're going to continue walking in the slavery mindset. It says, I want you to renew your mind, progressively renew your mind. It says, renewing your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. I know so many believers feel like they don't know what God's will is for their life. God, what's my calling? God, what's my purpose? God, what do you want me to do? And, and I can't answer those questions for you. I mean, I do believe God has a specific purpose for you, and I do think it's important for us to seek that out, for us to pray that and, and seek God's will. But I also think the word of God contains God's will for his people. And I can tell you this, what's God's will for you? God's will for you is to get out of slavery. God's will for you is to renew your mind. Like, let's start there. If we start with what we know God's will is, then he's going to reveal the pieces of it that we don't know. That's why it says once you renew your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. So God wants to change your thinking. He wants to get you out of Egypt and Egypt out of you. We can say it this way. Here's an easy way to remember it. God wants you saved and not slaved, right? He doesn't just want you saved. Yes, he wants you saved, but he wants you saved and not slaved. We've got too many who who are in this position. Maybe you've seen this on like a movie or a TV show before where somebody breaks out of prison or or, or somebody has been kidnapped or abducted or something and they're in change, but somehow they escape, but they still have the chains on. Have you ever seen something like this? And so now they're free, but they've still got these chains. They've still got these shackles. And so what's the first thing that happens, man? They run into somebody and somebody's like, man, let's get you out of those chains, right? Somebody's got a key. Somebody's got some ability to, to cut this thing off of them, to break it off of them. And I think we got a whole lot of Christians who are running around. They're free, 
but they're still in chains. They still got that stuff shackling them. And God says, man, come here. I've got the key. I can unlock that for you. I can set you free. Um, breaking out of this can be hard. These things holding on to us isn't, isn't just sin, man. It can be attitudes. It can be hurt. It can be bitterness. It can be wounds. It can be addiction. It can be a lot of different things. One, one of my favorite movies, in fact, I would probably say if I had to pick a favorite movie, I would probably pick this one, is Shawshank Redemption. And I can't recommend it to you on the original version. Watch the TBS version because it, it breaks out a little bit of the, the profanity and some of the stuff. It's set in a prison, so it's not like the, the cleanest movie you're ever going to see. But it's an amazing story of, of the pursuit of freedom, Right? It's this amazing story of bondage and freedom. And there's some really interesting characters in Shawshank. And if you're not familiar, there's, there's a guy named Brooks. Brooks is this gentle, kind old man. If you've seen the movie, he's the guy who's like always feeding his little bird. Uh, right? And, and so Brooks, is, he's the librarian. And everybody loves Brooks. Brooks has been in prison for 50 years. And Brooks comes up for parole, and he actually gets it. And they set this man free, and everybody celebrates because they're rooting for Brooks, and they love Brooks. And Brooks gets out on the outside, and he can't handle it. He's been in prison for 50 years. Can you imagine if you'd been put in prison in 1971, and you got set out in 2021, how different the world is? Can, can you imagine trying to, to operate and function with no reference point, no understanding of all the stuff going out here? Many of us in this room, we weren't even alive in 1971, right? Like, we can't even fathom that far back. And if you were, I don't think there's anybody here that was very old in 1971. Uh, it, it's crazy to think about being in prison for 50 years. And so psychology has actually looked at this, and what happens is they experience sensory overload, They've been in this one environment for so long, in this very similar situation for so long, and then they get out in the world, and there's just so much going on, and it causes this, this psychological stress and anxiety for people who've been in prison for very long periods of time and then get released. And so Brooks sadly comes to a place where he just can't handle it, and he hangs himself. Fifty years in prison, finally gets set free, the thing he's wanted this whole time, the thing he's pursued this whole time, and he discovers, you know what, the bondage of prison was a whole lot more comfortable than the uncertainty of freedom. And so Brooks dies, and Morgan Freeman, whose character's name is Red, he kind of narrates the movie, and he's got the greatest voice in the world, and I don't, but I'm going to read you one of his quotes, uh, and it won't be as powerful or profound without Morgan's voice, but just imagine it in his voice. He says this, he says, these walls are funny, talking about prison. He says, first you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. They send you here for life. And that's exactly what they take, the part that matters anyway. He says, man, they, they, it takes your life away. And I think I'm not just talking about it because I love the movie or because Morgan Freeman's this incredible actor. I think it's a, a very accurate picture of what a lot of believers are like. That, that, man, there's more comfort in slavery than the uncertainty of freedom. And so we just keep returning to it to where, man, those, those walls, those prison walls, those chains they're familiar, and they're certain, so I settle here. We don't fight for our freedom. You ever spilled something on your shirt or on the carpet or something, and, and you start to try to clean it up, and you make it worse? 
You spread it, and it's like, hey, I had this much ketchup on my shirt, and now I have this much ketchup on my shirt, right? Uh, I I think some of us, that's what we look at our sin issues like. And we're like, man, I'm just not going to touch it. I'm just going to leave it there so it doesn't get any worse. But if I start struggling with it, it's going to be more visible. If I start struggling with it, man, maybe more people are going to see it, and they're going to recognize it, and they're going to look at me different, and and, and they're going to look down on me, and they're not going to have the same respect for me that they did, so I'm just going to leave it here. Don't buy in to that lie. Man, God is calling us to struggle with it. In fact, Colossians 3.1 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your sinful nature. It says, go to battle with it. And you know, when you put something to death, it's messy. You put something to death, it's loud. It's going to draw some attention, and people are going to see it. But he says, I need you to put it to death. I need you to take up your sword. I need you to go to battle with this sin nature stuff, because otherwise it's going to prevent you from the stuff that I have for you. Got a little homework assignment for everybody this week. There's a video, in fact, it just posted at 12 o'clock, so two minutes ago, on, on our Facebook page, or you can find it on YouTube if you don't use Facebook, but it's called The Gospel by a guy named Eric Ludy. What it is, it's, a, it's like an 11 and a half minute little mini movie. Uh, and it's, what, to me, the most powerful example of the freedom that God has provided for us and that sometimes we, we forget to take advantage of or, or we don't understand how to take advantage of that I've ever seen. So 11 and a half minutes, watch it this week and, and set aside about 20 minutes because I want you to watch it and then I want you to have a couple minutes to, to talk to God, to process this video with God. So I want you to thank him for the stuff he set you free from. When you can look back and say, man, I struggled with this. I was caught up in this. I was in bondage to this. And Jesus, you set me free. I want you to celebrate and worship what he set you free from. But then I also want you to deal with what you're dealing with right now. Okay, Jesus, here's some areas that I still feel like I've got some chains. Here's some areas where I'm not moving forward, where I'm stuck, where, where it just doesn't seem like there's any momentum in my life. So I want everybody to do that this week. Take advantage of that. Find it on our Facebook page. Find it on YouTube, wherever you want to go. Uh, but, but watch that video and, and take a few minutes to wrestle with God wants, what God wants to do with you. I, I would have showed it in service, but we just didn't have quite enough time for it today. So um, the enemy wants you to stay stuck. And if the enemy can't stop you from being saved then he wants to make sure that he can stop you at being slaved. So not only is there a part of this where God is trying to get us out of slavery, but the enemy is, is working and fighting to keep us in slavery. And so why do we stay there? Why, why do we stay in slavery? Well, sometimes we stay there because we already talked about it, it's comfortable, right? It's what we know. Sometimes we stay there because it's a lie, because we're believing a lie. And the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. We, we could say that in, in modern American language, that he's the founder of fake news, right? Like he, he's the one who, who started all of this deceitfulness, all of these lies. And so he's the father of lies, so he's got lies he's telling us. Lies he's telling us about why to stay where we're at, why we can't move forward, why we don't need to move forward, why we'll never be good enough to move forward. He's got all these lies that he tells us. And so Jesus says in John 8, 32, he says, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? God wants to bring us to freedom. He wants to set us free. So if you're bound today, I want to encourage you with this. If you're bound online today, man, you're you're dealing with some sort of bondage, whether it's a sin bondage, whether it's an attitude, an emotion, a bitterness, whatever it might be. But if you're in bondage today, I want you to know what hinders you today does not have to hold you back in your future. What hinders you now, that man, God God wants to set you free from that. He wants to deliver you from that. And so it doesn't have to hold you back 
in your future. And I got one last verse for you. We're getting close, guys. Galatians 5.1 says this. It's a very famous statement at the beginning, but we oftentimes don't read the whole verse. It says this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's almost like a dust statement, right? It's like, why did, you, why did I set you free? So that you could be free. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, thanks for clarifying that, right? Well, why does he say that? Because we need to get it. Paul understands, man, we're, we're not always going to understand this. So he says, it's for freedom that Christ sets you free, but he doesn't stop there. He says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So in other words, God sets you free, but the enemy is still coming up. He's still sneaking up. He's still trying to grab you. He still wants to put you back in bondage. He can't take you back to a place of being an unbeliever. He can't steal your salvation from you, but he can steal the freedom that you're walking in. He can take that from you, and so we've got to be aware. We've got to be on our guard. We've got to protect ourselves from it. It's grace that saved you. It's grace that's going to deliver you, right? And this is where we miss it, and this is where where, where we go off on the wrong track as many times we try to do this on our own well Jesus saved me now I'm going to have to deal with all this stuff myself and we try to do it in our effort we try to do it in our strength we try to do it in our willpower and we find out my willpower is not good enough my strength isn't strong enough my effort doesn't get me there and that's when we just give up and we settle but see the Bible says that Jesus Christ we got to fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. So he starts it and he finishes it. So what is he doing? He's the one that's going to accelerate this process for us. He's the one that's going move to move us through it. He's the one who's going to make it happen for us. We just have to partner with him. So I'm going to give you two acrostics and then one last quote and we're just about done. You may have seen this first acrostic. This is an acrostic for the word grace. It's a way to remember the word grace and it relates to salvation. which We talked about last week. It says God's riches at Christ's expense. So the first cup is God's riches at Christ's expense, right? He, we, this is what grace is. That God gives us everything he has. His abundance, his, his goodness. He gives us all of that, the riches of his personality, the riches of, of his kingdom, right? He gives it all to us, not at my expense, but at Christ's expense. That's grace. That's incredible. That's amazing, and it's beautiful. But then the second one, which relates to redemption and deliverance, is this. It's God's rescuing and caring exertion. God's rescuing and caring exertion. And that one's not as catchy. Uh, It's a little more wordy. It needs a little more explanation, but I want to unpack it for you. What is exertion? Man, you exert when you go to the gym, right? What do we call it when we go to the gym? Working, right? What What is work? Why do we not like to go to the gym? Because it's work, right? Like, like, like it hurts. It's sweat. It's energy. It's, man, it's work. I, I got to put on a different set of clothes, right? Like it's just all this energy to get there. It's exertion. So what is grace? It's God's rescue and his caring exertion. In other words, it's God's work, not my work. God's the one who's going to set me free. God's the one who's going to deliver me. God's the one who's going to get Egypt out of me. So what is my part? Does that mean I can just sit back and just relax? No, it's not what I'm saying. You've got a part to play. We've always got a part to play. Here's the part to play, and the best way I can put it is uh, Pastor John Siebling, pastor at Life Church Memphis, he wrote a book called Moving Forward. And in Moving Forward, he says this. He says, my part is to do everything I can to position myself so that God can do his part. What's my part? My part is to do everything I can so that God can do his part. I'm just supposed to get in position. 
I'm supposed to cooperate with them. In the book of Galatians, it talks about the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What are those? Those things are evidences that the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. For most of my life, I thought that I had to go out and make myself kind. Man, this, this is the checklist. I got to do these nine things. I got to be loving, and I got to be kind, and I got to be gentle, and I got to have self-control, and I got to have peace, and I got to have joy, and I got to do all these things. But that's not what Galatians is teaching. What Galatians is saying is this is the fruit, it's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in me. So if I'm letting the Holy Spirit work in me, if I'm in relationship with the Holy Spirit and I have a healthy walk with him, this stuff's just going to happen. You ever had a fruit tree? When I, was, when I was a kid in Seattle, we had an apple tree in our front yard. And if that tree was healthy, if the soil was healthy, if it had water, what happened? It grew apples right? It didn't have to work to grow apples. It didn't have to like psych itself up. I'm making apples this year. Apples just happened, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit in your life is if you've got the Holy Spirit in you and you're leaned into relationship with Him and you're, you're opening up the areas of your life and saying, God, I got some weakness over here. God, I'm struggling over here. God, I got some bondage right here. I need you to breathe on this. God, I need you to, to move on this. I need you to do what only you can do. Then boom, the fruit starts popping up. And you're walking in a little more gentleness. And you're walking in a little more kindness. And you're walking in a little more joy. And you're walking in a little more peace. And you're walking in a little more self-control. Not that you went out and made yourself more joyous or more peaceful or more self-controlled. But the Holy Spirit is working in you. And it's working. It's happening. Why? Because it's God's rescue and caring exertion in your life. He's up to something. He's doing something on your behalf and on mine. So what do you got to do? Your job is to position yourself so that God can do his job. How do you position yourself? Get in the word. Man, get in, get in relationship with other believers. Sometimes it might mean getting away from some other stuff that's discouraging you and distracting you, right? Can't renew my mind when I keep renewing my mind with stuff from the world. Got to renew my mind with what he has. I got to position myself so God can do what only God can do. God doesn't want believers who are stuck in slavery. He wants you saved and not slaves.